when I was in student ministry, I was always looking for a new game to play because it's one thing to have like a youth group of 10 and figure out games. But when you have youth groups of 50 or 60 and trying to figure out games that everyone can play, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult. And so I'm appreciative of the websites that have games for youth ministry that you can play up on a screen. And so sometimes it allows like herds not to be going every which direction. It was also very beneficial during that time of COVID when we were coming back, but trying to stay socially distanced. It was nice to be able to have some games that we could play up on the screen. And with that, like there were all sorts of games out there. Like you could pick and choose going, yeah, that one might connect, that might not. And so I came across this game that was called um, ancient artifacts, all right? And so the game is supposed to show some sort of artifact that was used a long time ago, like in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And so like students were supposed to figure out what these different items were. And so they're ancient. Now, I am not calling you ancient if you're like, hey, I know those things because I would be considered ancient. I know some of these things. And so what I'm gonna do is we're gonna show some of these pictures and you can remember what those things were. Or for some of you, like this is gonna be a totally easy game. I would encourage you to look at someone who's younger around you and watch them struggle to try and figure out what is this thing, okay? so. Ancient artifacts. So here's the first one. Trying to figure out what this thing is. Maybe if it comes up, we'll find out. There it is. What is that thing called? Okay. So some of you guys remember it. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. Going really quickly. I heard it. It is a pager or a beeper, whichever one you want to call. Some of you guys still have those around. Probably not as much, but you might find it. Here's another one. Ancient artifact that maybe you'll see. Okay. Yes. Probably don't see too many of those around. What is it? It's a fax machine. Yep. Okay. Now you just have the cloud. Okay. That's different. So now what else is another ancient artifact? That thing. Okay. And it's more than just a printer. Yes, it is. You heard it out there. The dot matrix printer that had the special paper had to go through. All right. You could hear the noise as it was printing. That was fun. All right. Here's the next one. Okay. What is that ancient artifact? Long time ago we used it. All right, what is it? It's a typewriter, very good. All right, imagine making those mistakes and using that little white thing to edit it or whatever, okay. Here's the next one. I did not know what that one is. I have to just tell you, that was not me. So yes, what is it called? An eight track, that's right. So you just play music. Next one. Oh. <laughs> Man. Some of you are like, I still have one of those. That's fine. <laughs> no, not judging. All right, ancient artifacts. It's called, yep, the Rolodex. So don't just have your, hey, Google, tell me what this is. All right, next. What was that? Yes. All right. So the VHS, I heard you guys talk about that before streaming and DVDs and Blu-ray, all that kind of stuff. Next one. Man, when's the last time you used that? Not for an art project. Like thinking about what is that? All right, so what is that? That's right, it's a film canister, okay. Very good, next ancient artifact of so old. I think the last time I used one of these was at the fireworks tents, okay. It is what? The manual credit card and printer, so you can use credit cards. Let's see what the next one is. There we go, floppy disk, okay. So a lot of you know that exactly. Maybe you still have stuff on a floppy disk somewhere. Maybe you don't have one, I don't know. Let's see what else is next. What is that one? This is our last one. 
That's right. I heard it. It is the VHS rewinder, you know, be kind, rewind, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So you could put that in there. It would save your VCR. All of these ancient artifacts, okay, that were so old or not so much. I show those to you because last week we talked about how Jesus is a king. And even having some conversations with you guys this week, like people were like, I've thought of him being a king, but not so much about me being a servant. Like that's one of our roles. So it was something that had kind of challenged me. Now I'll tell you that what we're talking about this week could maybe even be a little bit more difficult to grasp because the situation of which it is is something that's ancient. Like we don't use it quite as much. And so we're talking about this idea that Jesus is a priest. Jesus is a priest. And so again, we don't use that term a whole lot, especially within our denomination. Like sometimes people come up and like, when they hear that I work at a church, they're like, are you a priest or something? I'm like, well, I'm something, okay, but I'm not exactly a priest. And Again, not trying to down anything, but I don't really fulfill all the laws of what was in the Old Testament about what a priest did. And so that's not just a title that we go by here at our church. And so occasionally you'll hear it, but when we're talking about Jesus being a priest, like, what does that mean? Okay? And so when the Israelites, when they were freed from Egypt, they had come through the Red Sea, God spoke to Moses and said, here is all sorts of instructions that I want you to know, that I want the people of Israel to be able to follow. Okay, so I'm going to set this up. And so especially in Exodus chapters 25 through 31, there's a whole bunch of instructions about this is what a priest is to do. And this is what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. And if we're being honest, there's a lot of people that when we get to that part of the Bible, we're just going to skip over it because like that's kind of difficult to understand or we don't have those so much anymore. But there's so much detail that's important to understand. And so as we look at that, like we got to figure out what exactly did a priest do? Like that God had set up, what did a priest do? And so priests were important because they officiated all sorts of sacrifices. And so there were burnt sacrifices, there were guilt sacrifices, there were sin sacrifices, there were peace offerings, there were thank offerings, there was this job of releasing the scapegoat once a year, knowing all of these things, as well as praying for the people. And so priests had an important job with all of those things, but that wasn't it. They were also in charge of helping to teach the people about God's law. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but they didn't have a Bible just to walk around with and be able to read. Like most of it hadn't been written yet, but even there, like God had told Moses. And so they needed some way of being able to communicate. This is what God wants us to know. And so that was one of the roles of the priest. Another role was that they were supposed to be able to look at someone and tell whether you were clean um, or you were healthy. And so that might be kind of weird, but there were certain laws of, hey, you are unclean for this reason. And so you would go and show yourself to, to a priest afterwards, and they could look at you and say, you are now officially ceremonially clean. And so that was one of the jobs that the priest would have. Sometimes you would even see them kind of act like a judge or administer justice in certain kind of roles. And so there were all these jobs as a priest. The biggest thing you need to know is that they were a mediator between God and man. Like they were the one in the middle that helped connect the two. So they would teach the things that God wanted spoken about and they would represent the people before God. They were that mediator, that go-between. That was the job of a priest. 
Now, there were also different levels of priests. And so maybe you've heard the word high priest before. Maybe you've come across the word priest a lot of times. I think it's 700 times in the Old Testament. You just simply read that word. Maybe you even heard of the word Levite. And what you need to know is the Levites were kind of the bottom rung of these priests, okay? Not that they're not important, but they were the biggest group. And they came from the tribe of Levi, okay? One of the sons of Joseph. And so their job was basically to be set apart, opposed to everybody else. And so they represented being God's people. They weren't allowed to own any kind of land because God was their inheritance. And beforehand, God had said, I want every family to dedicate your firstborn son to me. And the Levites became that person. Like every family did not have to dedicate that now because the Levites became God's people. And so they would do things like vocal music and playing instruments as part of the ceremonies and things like that. One of the other important jobs of the Levites, whenever this tabernacle or kind of this traveling church thing was supposed to move, when God said, we're going to move from here to here, they had specific roles that they were supposed to wrap up or carry the pieces of the tabernacle. So we'd pick it up and then we're supposed to come here and we would put it down. That was one of the jobs of the Levites. And so there were a whole bunch of them, but that's what their role was. Next on the ladder, if you were to kind of go up in responsibilities, would just be what you call a priest, you know, maybe the ordinary priest, so to speak. And their job primarily was to make sacrifices. Like, that's what you saw a lot of them do. When you're talking about, hey, I'm coming to make a sacrifice, you would see one of the priests. Now, to be a priest, you had to be in the line of Aaron, Now, you may not know who Aaron is. Moses had a brother named Aaron. And so you had to be in his family, like in his lineage from all of the sons. And so you could look back and go, yes, I'm a priest because I am from the line of Aaron. And so they would make the the offerings and things like that. And uh, when you read kind of and do history, when Jesus was around, there were probably about 20,000 priests at that time. So again, that's down the road a little bit. And so their job was to work at the temple for about two weeks a year. All right, so you're like, man, that's not too shabby. Two weeks out of 52, like they did all the offerings at the temple for two weeks a year. They also traveled to Jerusalem three times a year when it was the festival And the rest of the time, they did kind of jobs back at their own cities, like when people would come to them and say, hey, am I clean? That way everyone didn't have to run to Jerusalem or things like that. And so there were all these jobs that the priests did, but again, from the line of Aaron through his sons. But then you have the high priest. And the high priest had to come through the line of Aaron, through the son of Eliezer, and you had to be able to track back that that's where your lineage lineage was, okay? Being able to look back at that. And so the high priest would wear this breastplate that had every single one of the 12 tribes listed on it. And their most important job was one day a year to go before God on the Day of Atonement and basically offer up sacrifices for himself and for the sins of the entire nation. Like that was his biggest role. And if you were the high priest, like once you became that, you were that for the rest of of your life. And so we see this idea of priests and Levites and high priests. In fact, Josephus, the historian, said there were probably about 83 high priests from the time of Aaron, the very first high priest, until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. So we're talking about all these priests, and again, it's like, okay, what you need to also understand is the context of something called the tabernacle, like I mentioned just a while ago, this traveling church. And first off, there was this place called the most holy place, Maybe you've heard of it called the Holy of Holies. And in this Holy of Holies, it was this room that was like 15 feet by 15 feet, and it held the Ark of the Covenant. 
The Ark of the Covenant was a box that basically had been made according to specifications the way that God wanted, and it held the Ten Commandments. It held Aaron's staff that had budded. It had a jar of manna in it. But more importantly than those things, it was representative of where God was. And so even on the top of it, they um, chiseled out these two angels where their wings came together. And right in the middle of that spot, it was called the mercy seat because that is where God resided. Like even outside the tabernacle, you could see his presence and it was there on the Ark of the Covenant. And so this holy of holies or the most holy place was there and not very big and the high priest could only enter it one day a year, that day of atonement that I told you. So they would go in and they would make sacrifices to God at that spot. But what you also need to know is that he could only go in that one time. If he tried to go in any other time, it was not allowed. And so that was the only moment. In fact, there's Jewish tradition that the high priest would even start tying a rope to his ankle. So that way, when he went in that one day a year, he would offer up sacrifices. And if he did anything wrong and died, because no one else could go in, they could pull him out. That's not in the Bible, but that's Jewish tradition saying that. And so what I want you to understand is that God was here, part of Israel But there was this barrier that only the high priest could go in one time a year. The room that was right outside the most holy place is called the holy place. That makes sense. Okay, so the holy place was here, and it's 30 feet by 15 feet. And only priests could come here. And so in this area, you'd find three different things. You'd find a lampstand. You'd find a table that you could have bread on. And then you'd also have this uh, altar where they would offer up incense. And again, certain priests were allowed to come at certain times. It couldn't just be everyone at once. There were rotations and things like that. But this spot was where you offered these uh, things up to God. And again, there was this barrier that if you were not a priest on a certain day, that it was your time, you couldn't come into this area. And so then outside of that, you have what's called the courtyard. Okay, and this, there would be the big uh, sacrifice area, the big altar where people would come and make most of their sacrifices. There was also this basin where people would come and wash their hands, including the priests, going, this is how important this is. But if you were not an Israelite, you could not come in this area. You had to stay outside of the courtyard. Or if you were an Israelite, but you were in an area where you were unclean or not well, you could not enter this. And so the tabernacle was all covered with um, curtains, but there was this one door, this one entrance. But again, if it wasn't the exact time, you're standing on this other side, okay? And so as I want you to think about these barriers, the first one there that that separates the most holy place from the holy of holies, the second one that separates the holy place from this idea of the courtyard, and then coming out here, like you can see, there's quite a disconnect. In fact, later on, when not just the tabernacle, but the temple is built, and then later on there's other temples built, there are more places that are segregated, kind of a, a courtyard for women and a courtyard for Gentiles. And so I want you to understand this because God is over there. Like he really is. He's part of Israel. But there's this huge barrier that I'm not able just to connect up with him. The job of a priest was so important because he really was the one that mediated between me and God. And so this is pretty important. But it's also hard for us to understand because, again, this whole system is an ancient artifact. Like it's no longer around. And the question maybe is why? Well, the answer is Jesus. 
Like when Jesus came, Hebrews tells us he became our high priest. So this isn't important anymore. In fact, it talks about in Hebrews chapter 5 that he came, like God chose him to be our high priest so that he could offer the perfect sacrifice. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about this idea of being in the order of Melchizedek. That's a name that this person was being a priest long before God set it up with the Levites. And Abraham had given Melchizedek a tithe, an offering. And so the author of Hebrews says, look, Melchizedek is even greater than all of the other priests. And Jesus, too, is greater than all of the other priests. He becomes our high priest. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, Verses 23 through 28, we read this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever." When we're reading about Jesus as high priest, it says God's the one that chose him, and he is our perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. He's also the perfect one to be able to offer that sacrifice because, one, he's not going to die, and, two, he continues to be perfect. And so right now in heaven, he is offering up prayers on our behalf. He is the mediator that we need, like this gift once and for all. And no longer do we need to go through a person to reach God. No longer do we even have to come to a specific place to reach God. Because of Jesus, we don't have to look and go, man, he's way over there. We have direct access. And I think about how we need help sometimes, maybe physically or whatever. And so we call 911 and immediately they're there. They are waiting to be able to help us or our emergency responders or emergency rooms or things like that. They are there to be able to help us in the same way we have this direct access to God. Man, I am thankful that this You know, ancient way is not around anymore. Like, I'm really thankful we don't have to do animal sacrifices all the time as well. Like, it's something that we just don't think about. But maybe just like even having this up here, you're kind of like, two questions. Like, how is this a Christmas sermon? (laughs) Okay. You know, we talked last week about this one incident where these three, well, not necessarily three, but these wise men, these magi come before Jesus. They find him as a child and they offer these gifts and how these gifts foreshadow who he is going to be. And he will be king, even though it's not just on this earth. He will be king and he is king right now. And one of the gifts was this idea of frankincense. And in Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, it talks about how you're supposed to take all these different mixes of spices and mix it with pure frankincense And that is what we are to offer up to God. It is holy and only to be used in the tabernacle, in the temple. It is something that's important for a priest to do. And so Jesus, being foreshadowed, is our priest. He's our high priest. But maybe the bigger question is, not necessarily why is this a a Christmas sermon, but why does it matter? 
Like, why does all this really matter? Like, maybe as you came through the doors today, like, you're at home and you're trying to figure out, like, this whole finance thing. Like, bills continue to come in. You're just like, I have no idea how we're going to pay for this. Maybe as you came in today, like, you're just feeling the weight of people that are really close to you continuing to go to the hospital or maybe even people passing away. You're like, God, what, do, what does this matter that you're a priest? Maybe the situation that you're in is like in your marriage, like it just seems like it is on the rocks. It feels like your spouse isn't trying and you just don't know what to do. Um, and it just seems like, is there really any hope to all this? Like maybe even as you come in, like you're just overwhelmed sometimes by everything going on in the world that you're like, divisions are everywhere. Maybe real personally, like there is some sort of addiction that has got you tight. Like, I don't even know how to survive this, keep my head above water. And you're talking about a priest? Or maybe what's happening is you're trying to figure out who you are. Or not just who you are, but what is your purpose? God, how do you want to use me? Like, I feel nothing. What am I supposed to do? And so you come in feeling that. And so why does it matter that Jesus is our high priest? Here's why. Because of Jesus. Like, he came down to us. He came to be with us so that he could eliminate all of this so that we could be in eternity with him. Like no longer do we have to go through people. Like we can now go any time to Jesus, any place to Jesus with anything. And so all those things that are weighing upon your shoulders, you do not have to handle yourself because Jesus is there and he is continuing to lift those things to God. That's why it matters because he's not so far away that he once was. In fact, back in Hebrews, one more time, chapter four, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Like Jesus, our high priest, came down here. He knows what you're going through. He's experienced it. And he says, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. And not like as a last resort or what am I supposed to do, but come to me confidently and I will give you the grace and the mercy that you need. That's what you can find in me. And so that's what we're going to do here for just a couple minutes. Because we have direct access to God, we're going to use that. And so what we're going to do is we did this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to have you pray, whether in families or with friends or people sitting next to you, if you feel comfortable, if you want to still pray by yourself, don't like be frustrated if someone says no thank you to come joining them. But we're just going to offer up to God, here's what's on our heart like, I don't have to, like, put some kind of mask on. God, this is what's going on. And maybe it's situations. Maybe it's people that you want to lift up. Maybe you're giving him thanks because there's all those kind of offerings. But God, this is what I want to tell you or I need to tell you. We're going to take advantage of not having these barriers, but simply being able to have access to God. So you're going to have about three minutes to just simply pray and see what God wants you to know. All right? So you can get together and pray, and then we'll continue on with the service after that. Let's have access to him.